I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. 11 to 1 on LMFM. It is time for another word foolery with author Grace Tierney from Stamullen. She always gives us such an interesting and entertaining insight into the origin of words. And this month we are looking at words like grudge, jumbo, tartan and our mystery word slang wanger, which has you all bamboozled today. Author Grace Tierney is on the line with me now. How are you doing, Grace? Hi Sinead, it's lovely to talk to you. Lovely to speak to you. Um, we are getting a lot of rude things in on the slang wanger, which I can't read out, but this is what you've started today, Grace, with this mystery word. Uh, but before we get to that, uh, let's have uh, let's start off with tar- tartan, because this is a pattern that I'm particularly fond of. Oh, good. Nice yep. to hear. Um, well, I decided I'd have a look at it this month because um, I'm a big fan of the novels by Diana Gabaldon, which are set in Scotland, partially in South of Scotland. And uh, her rather lovely male lead uh, always wears his kilt and his tartan. And I thought, oh, do you know what? I'll have a look into that. Um, so the strict definition of tartan is that it's a woven woolen fabric which is decorated with crossing stripes of contrasting colours. I think probably everybody Irish and listening knows what tartan looks like anyway. Now, I would have thought that tartan came from Scotland. Mm-hmm. So I was quite surprised to discover that it doesn't. Um, having said that, Kilts and that do come from Scotland, so we'll, we'll let them away with it. So uh, tartan becomes an English word in the mid-1400s, and at that point, it's not about stripes or anything like that. It's just a woolen fabric. And it came from a French word, tartan, uh, which was a strong or coarse fabric, which in turn came from the old French word tiret, a kind of cloth, and ultimately from medieval Latin tyrus or tyrius. I'm not great with my medieval Latin, but this was cloth from tyre. So Tyre was an island city in the Levant. So that's a region which includes modern day Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, Palestine and Jordan. So actually quite a large region. And Tyre was known for Tyrian purple, which was also known as imperial purple, which was used in ceremonial robes in Roman life. So only certain people were allowed to wear the imperial purple. And it was actually made from ground up snail shells, which is icky, but gives you a nice colour. Yeah. so the spelling of tartan uh, gets a little bit influenced by some other languages. So Middle English, it's uh, tartarin, uh, rich silk cloth, and from Old French, tar- again, tartarin, but spelled differently, tartar cloth. The tartars were from a Central Asian people. So all of those things are not anything to do with Scotland. It's throwing it over towards the east, basically. Yeah. Um, and so it's probably not surprising then that the earliest tartan patterned cloth which has been found in archaeological digs actually dates back to 3,000 years BC and wasn't found in Scotland. Wow. Um, it looks like it didn't really get to Scotland until around 300 AD. Okay, so they're kind of, well look, I know it's 300 AD, it's a lot of long time, so they're kind of claiming it though first. Ah, yeah. No, I'm yeah. like, in fairness, they wear it well. Yes, they do. They do. They originate there. And I was genuinely really surprised by that. Um, so the weaving of tartan cloth, it would get as far as Scotland. It's taken up locally by home weavers, much the same way it would have been, you know, cloth was woven at home in Ireland as well. 
But uh, there's also a thing in, in Scotland, you'll often be offered, oh, do you want to wear the Pamble tartan or the McDonald's tartan? So tartans that are associated with particular sca- uh, clans. Yeah, that's complete nonsense as well. Okay. <laughs> well, anyway, hopefully I'm not annoying the Scottish people too badly with this. This is all from the online Scottish Tartan Museum and it's all legit. I did double check because I was confused. <laughs> the tartan becomes very associated with Highland culture. So basically mm. they start wearing the cloth. It's made locally, etc. So much so that after the Battle of Culloden in 1746, the British government actually outlaw the wearing of tartan, amongst other things, as part of a brutal effort to suppress Scottish culture and prevent any future rebellion against the crown. Thankfully, that's lifted about 40 years later. And from that point onwards, we start having commercially woven tartan because they have the machines to do it. So by 1819, they have 250 tartan designs and they start, the Weaver companies start naming them after clans and towns. And that's where it starts getting a bit of a linkage. So around that time, there would have been a certain amount of um, people that left Scotland after Culloden because there was famine, it was horrendous. And they raised their families overseas. They wanted to start having tartan from home to wear as a link to their homeland. Of course. The Highland, Highland Society of London, didn't even know there was such a thing. I didn't either. They wrote, well, I do. You learn things with me, stick with oh, me. I, yeah, I always <laughs> learn stuff with you, I do. <laughs> so they wrote off to the clan chiefs to try and settle the matter of the clan tartan. All of the chiefs basically went, uh, we don't know, um, because it had been broken for about 40 years. So they go back and consult the older older clan members and they try and dredge up vague memories of what the colours might have been. In 1822, there's a royal visit and the invitations go out to the clan chiefs and all the various signatories and they said, you must wear your clan tartan to visit. And that's great, but they don't know what their clan tartan is. So at that point, they all kind of decide, right, it's going to be this pattern from now on. So that's when we start getting the clan tartan. But it was basically invented just so they would look good in their dress attire. And at this point, we now have 13,000 designs officially on record. And most clans have multiple tartans. So you would have a dress tartan, which is traditionally worn to weddings by Mm -hmm. Scottish guests. Um, and also a hunting tartan, which is in a much more muted tone so that it blends into the landscape when you're out hunting your deer or whatever. Um, and technically, I'm allowed to wear a tartan. I'm quite proud of this because I have Clan Ferguson and Clan Johnson ancestors. But even if you don't have any Scottish ancestors, if you're Irish, you can still wear a kilt. You can wear a plain orange kilt, which is known as the saffron kilt. I don't know if you've ever seen one. But they were imported into Ireland thanks to British Army regiments. Oh, I know I haven't seen the plain orange, but I have obviously seen people, you know, at weddings, that kind of thing, wearing the, there's different variations on the colours, as you're saying there, of, of tartan on kilts and things. My God, that is quite uh, interesting. It's just all based around the word tartan. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. One word gives you a lot of history. It gives a lot of history. It really does. Uh, now, we've all heard of a grudge, you know, holding a grudge against someone. Uh, but something tells me that there's a great origin story around this one. Well, it's a slightly shorter one, so you can relax. It's not as long as Tartan. Um, but, it, you know, it does give us a fun new insult, which could be handy, depending on what kind of day you're having today. Listen, we already so, have Slangwanger. Loads of people are saying they're going to use this as an to insult people. Slangwanger, yeah, you could use it as an insult. There's a hint for you. So, uh, grudge entered English in the mid-1400s. It was initially described as murmuring or complaining, and it was a variant spelling of an even earlier word, grutch. So grutch, which isn't used anymore, which means you could use it and nobody would know what you're up to, 
um, also gives us the idea of a person being a grouch. Do you remember grouch on Sesame Oh, yeah. Street? Yeah, so yeah. Oscar the Grouch, so, yeah. Grutch comes from a verb grutchen a couple of centuries earlier, and that was to complain, find fault, or be angry. And it came from the old uh, French verb of grouchier, um, which sounds much fancier than mm. grouch. But anyway, uh, by 1400, we developed the word begrudge to concede reluctantly or with envy. And there was even a related word, which is again now out of use, a grucklid, a woman who complains. Mm. I think that could be quite useful. That could be. What's that now? Tell me it again. Grucklid. A grucklid. Oh, you have a yeah. grucklid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. I do like that. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, and also we have jumbo. Look, we have jumbo, you know, sausage rolls. You've got the jumbo breakfast roll. It means big. It does. It it's absolutely means big. Jumbo Jess is the classic one as well. But yeah, jumbo means large. Um, jumbo comes from an elephant. Um, and a slightly sad story at the end, so if you oh. love elephants, just gird your loins a little on this one. But uh, Jumbo lived from 1861 to 1885, and it was the name of a 62-ton African elephant, which was captured in the Sudan and exhibited in London Zoo from 1865 to 1882. At this point, despite a huge public outcry, including a protest from Queen Victoria and letters from hundreds of thousands of schoolchildren, Jumbo was bought by P.T. Barnum, the famous American showman. He was then exhibited in Barnum and Bailey's greatest show on earth, you know. Mm. And during his three and a half years in the show, it's estimated that he carried a million children on his back. <gasps> he was also reputed to be quite fond of Scottish whiskey. Oh my God. <laughs> I was a bit worried about elephants drinking whiskey. Yeah. But especially with children fond. on their back. Health and safety. Oh my God. <laughs> I know. Health and safety got mad. Yeah. Um, yeah, Barnum, you know, knew how to spin a line. So I, I would put like just a little asterisk beside all of these stories because if they come from him, it could be true. It could Bit be a bit of tall mouth. tales happening. Yeah. Now, how he was named, he was either named from the phrase mumbo jumbo, meaning nonsense, or possibly from two Swahili words. So jumbe is the word for chief and jambo means hello. So Ooh. it's somewhere in there. It's where his name came from. But obviously jumbo just means jumbo at this stage. Um, tragically, he died in 1885 when a train hit him while he was trying to rescue uh, Tom Tom, who was Barnum's smallest elephant. The animals were being herded across the tracks to get onto their own train for transport to the next city. And the small elephant survived and the oncoming train derailed. But poor old Jumbo died and allegedly with his tr- trunk curled around his trainer. It's a really sad story. The possibility is not entirely true, but the, the, the truth is he did die, which is quite sad. And after his death, his skeleton was donated to the American Museum of Natural History in New York, and it was displayed there as recently as 1993. Oh, wow. Okay. I wonder what happened. Maybe he's in storage now, is he? I'm not sure. I was trying to find out yeah. before he came on air and I couldn't get to the bottom of it. Because so, I have visited there and I don't remember seeing Jumbo. But now, I'm listen, sure. any time I'm going to, you know, be thinking of Jumbo sausage rolls or Jumbo breakfast rolls, I'm just going to be thinking about Jumbo the elephant. I really am. Yeah. I'll have a whiskey with it. <laughs> I'll have a whiskey with it. Now, I always get mixed up with antidote and anecdote. Uh, but we're talking about anecdote today, aren't we? Anecdote. Maybe yeah. I should do antidote the next time. That yes, might be a good one. it'll be really confusing that. for me. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> Maybe I won't. Tell you um, 
anecdote, yes. So this is used in recent times to identify a usually brief, amusing story. So it's the kind of thing they'll tell on the couch to Graham Norton. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Um, it didn't originally mean that. So it entered English in the 1670s and it originally described secret and unpublished stories. So it would mm. not be something that you would ever tell. Um, quite different from stars promoting their latest movie. Um, anecdote comes directly from the French word anecdote uh, or possibly from Greek roots with pit stop via Latin. The Greek word anecdota means unpublished things and comes from an meaning not and ectotos which means published. Mm. And ectotos itself means to give out or to publish you know, and not give out in our sense of scolding somebody. Um, the whole concept amounts to anecdotes being something you would never make public. Um, so, for example, the anecdota was the unpublished memoirs of a Roman emperor, Justinian, which were apparently packed with juicy court gossip. Which mm. I love the idea of that. So this added to English anecdotes meaning as being a secret story. Now, human nature, of course, is fond of gossip and the inside story no doubt led to the erosion of the secrecy over time. But now anecdotes are tidbits of news which are shared amongst friends or perhaps on a chat show, chat show sofa. But this <laughs> still leaves us with anecdotal evidence. Yes. By original definition, this is evidence which is not published. And that's the only place that anecdote retains some of its original meaning because it's evidence which isn't formally published but is gathered via oral stories. Okay, so it's not like necessarily not true. Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah, yeah. no, it's not about truth or lies. Yeah. It's so much about whether it's public or not. Okay, very interesting, very interesting. Uh, now, let's put aside of our misery, misery. Ray said, it sounds like a bad word a cork man might say about a certain part of the body. I don't think... <laughs> That slang wanger is this. Although it did, do you know what? It brought me kind of on a vein to, to Roald Dahl because Roald Dahl loved to make up words and this kind of sounded like something that you might have lifted from a Roald Dahl book, but no. I have been known to talk about Roald Dahl, particularly yes. over on the blog because um, they have a Roald Dahl day every year and I try to do a post about those. I love his words. They're fantastic. No, slang wanger is not from Roald Dahl, but it is from an author action, which is quite interesting. Oh. And somebody suggested you could call a politician this and I think <laughs> you probably could. Yes. That's Liam. Liam, well done. You can. You were yeah. right all along. <laughs> yes, but you know, we can call politicians lots of things. Try and keep it good on the radio, but we all know we yell at the telly a little bit. So slang wanger is an American English word from the early 1800s and it has fallen out of use. I'm trying to pick really obscure ones for this guy. I know it's mean, but I have to make them hard. Um, However, I do think it might be revived, maybe because of today. Um, So a slang wanger is defined as a noisy or abusive writer or talker. Okay. Yeah, I can see you could definitely use it for the politicians, couldn't you? And I can think of a few people I know personally, but (laughs) we won't name any names. Um, The word was popularised by an author called Washington Irving. Uh, He's the man who wrote Rip Van Winkle. Oh, yeah. The legend. Yeah, everybody knows that one. And the legend of Sleepy Hollow. Um, He wrote the following in an essay in 1821. Now, bear with me. There's a long word in this one. In this country, which is America, every man adopts some particular slang wanger as the standard of his judgment and reads everything he writes if he reads nothing else, which is doubtless the reason why people of this logocracy are so marvellously enlightened. So I think we can conclude that Washington quite liked long words. He had a way with words, he did, yeah. He did, he did. And a logocracy is a system of government in which words are the ruling power. 
um, in case you're wondering, I fully approve of this idea, by the way, because of that system, <laughs> I would scream. Do. <laughs> <laughs> um, slang ranger is formed by joining two words, which I think you'd guess from the look of it. So slang, which I'll get to in a minute, and wanger, uh, which is man's crown jewel. That's the politest way I can put it. Okay, so it is um, that. Okay. Yes, it is. Okay, so <laughs> all of those rude people that messaged in on 086-1800-658 that caused me to blush, you're totally right. Uh, now, you don't blush that. Oh, no, seriously, now. I know you don't. <laughs> anyway, we can't see your blushes. It's radio. It's fine. <laughs> Thank God. Uh, so, slang. We're just going to go into that briefly and then I'll be done. So, slang appeared in mainstream English around 17... Sorry, the word appeared in yeah. 1756 to donate the special vocabulary of tramps or thieves. But by 1801, it was being used for jargon associated with any particular profession. So, you know the way every job has its own little jargon. That yes. was the slang. So it's basically novel, vivid, informal language. So slang changes almost daily throughout history and even today, and particularly amongst teens who would rather die rather than admit that their parental generation might understand anything they're saying. (laughs) Um, Niche groups, group activities, incoming languages from visitors and migrants combine with pop culture and they give new slang words literally every day. Some thrive, some die. Um, it's very appropriate then that slang itself came with a group of incomers who were not approved of by mainstream society. In this case, the Vikings. Uh, Got to get the Vikings. <laughs> Got to get time. them in there. Yeah. <laughs> um, the Old North had the word slangy for tramp and slanger, the straying of sheep. Norwegian still has slange, hang loose or dangle. And Danish has slinge, I think, uh, to sling. Um, and other derived words all relating to gangs of people, groups of people. So from those Scandinavian roots, we get the Northern English dialect word slang to describe a narrow piece of land running between other parcels of land. This led to the idea of slang patter, patter meaning talk in this case, which was associated with people that lived on those tiny bits of land, sort of the edges that weren't being used by farmers. This became linked to those people, possibly roving traders who camped there, and their colourful sales pitches and often quite rough language were the origin of the word slang in English and ultimately what caused Washington Irving to coin slanghanger for a noisy or abusive talker. I love it. Absolutely brilliant. Grace, as always, thank you so much for a really entertaining word foolery. We're already looking forward to the Christmas word foolery, but for day for today, thank you so much for joining us. You're very welcome. I enjoyed it. Thanks for Thanks having me. a million. Grace Tierney has quite a few books out. Her latest one is Words the Vikings Gave Us. You can find more information about what she does on wordfoolery.wordpress.com. 11 to 1 on LMFM. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.